Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never-been-heard-before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about, so you can create the life that you really want but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And today, as always, we have a very special guest. And this show, we talk about things that people don't often talk about. And my guest today, Gifty Valim Karim, is a very, very special woman. And she is she's the country manager for Ghana. And she works with Crossroads International. We just had Heather Chapter on from there. If you haven't seen that interview, please watch that. You'll get a history of of the organization. And Gifty is the country manager for Ghana. So she can talk specifically about what's happening in Ghana and with the empowerment of women and girls and what they're doing is so moving and inspiring that you're going to want to have your tissues nearby. So welcome, Gifty. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Yes, it's great to have you here. So she is staying in Toronto, right? Yes. Right uh, now, yeah. So she, yes. Actually, at Hedes. I'm living at Hedes Place. <laughs> so. You're I'm leaving here. when? I'm staying with Heather in her yeah. home in Toronto. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so she's staying with Heather, who, again, if you haven't seen Heather's interview, please watch that. Um and so so she introduced me to Gifty because she wanted us to hear more specifics about what they're doing. And she knows that Gifty is um, she's a gift. And she I'm going to let you I'm, I want you, Gifty, to tell them about how you grew up and what inspired you to want to help women and gir- girls or at least to help, you know, serve. I, I OK, so go ahead. <laughs> Thank you very much, and um, I'm really excited to uh, have the opportunity to speak on your show. Um, it's very inspiring to see what you are doing and also um, giving us the opportunity to speak about our program. So, um, as you rightly mentioned, my name is Gifty Volenkarameko, and I come from Ghana, Accra. Uh, it's where Crossroads Country Office is based. And uh, Ghana is a country in West Africa. Uh, we are in West Africa, um, in the African continent, and Crossroads has an office there, but it's been operating in Ghana for over a decade now. So I grew up in the northern part of Ghana. So uh, Ghana is divided. You can look at it in uh, four uh, geographical division so we have the the southern part the western part the middle belt and then the northern or the savannah part and i grew up in the northern part 
So the northern part of Ghana is mostly um, agrarian. So people's livelihood survive through farming. And my dad is um, was a farmer. He's now retired. And I grew up um, going to school, but also working in the farm. And when we were kids, my dad um, had different activities. So he was raiding animals. He had a piggery farm. He had a ranch and also he was farming different crops. And our home used to be full with um, different people. We, he had a lot of foster kids who today still come to the house. So we were a lot, but we had the opportunity to go to school. So I think from uh, being a young person, I learned philanthropy from that because we had a lot of people and he continued to pay school fees of people that were not related to us, but he just had the commitment to help because their parents were struggling and couldn't do that. And I think that is how philanthropy and the need to empower evolve. We are 10 kids, six uh, girls. Yeah. Can I ask a question? I know, so you're, it seems like your father, you know, he was in a good place. He had a big farm. It was profitable. He could afford to help others. And I, I think you had said that there's a lot of people in that area that aren't, you know, that, that needed the help. Mm. How, how did your father get um, so successful? Was it in the family? Like how did, do you know what I mean? Like how did, if, if so many people were struggling, how did, was it a family thing? Like how did that work? If you don't mind my asking, I was just yeah. thinking. So my father, his father, my grandfather was a computer. So he, was able to take my dad to school. So my father was successful because he was educated. So even though he had farms, he was working. He was working uh, as a manager at the time and also running the, his, uh, the farms like a business, but more of a social enterprise. So he had education and I think that really uh, propelled him better than other people in the community. So, and what, what did you say about um, your grandfather? He had what? that? So your father was able to go to school. Yeah, what he was you- a carpenter. So he used to work with woods in the community. So he was very prominent and made money early. So he actually took his children to school. And I think um, my father and his siblings had the opportunity to go to school because their father was committed. But I don't know from my great-grandparents uh, if my my grandfather didn't go to school, but I don't know the reason behind he being so committed to take his kids to school, and which was my father being part of them. And my okay. father was the oldest of his children. Okay, so he so he got an education. So yeah. and And what's the word you're saying about your grandfather? He was what? He was a carpenter. What does that mean, carpenter? <laughs> carpenter. So he used to work. Oh, with carpenter. Wood. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> First, I thought you were saying computer, but I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Okay, okay, all right. So he was a carpenter. Okay. Yes. So he afforded, you know, his whatever he did afforded the luxury of your father to go to school and get the education, and then he became a successful businessman, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
which afforded you the opportunity to go to school. To go okay. to school. Got yeah. it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Keep going. Yes. I'm going to take myself away so I can't interrupt. <laughs> so um, we, my dad had um, girls. Uh, so I had my older sisters, um, siblings, and then myself, and then I had brothers. But we were six girls. And then um, my sibling, my other siblings were boys, but we all had the opportunity to go to school. And from my education, I had to move from the northern side to come to down south to go to university. And that was how I moved away from the north and came to the university. So coming to university, I realized that even at uh, the university, being in down south, which uh, with the way Ghana is organized, is um, the poverty level down south is much better than up north because up north, uh, um, the communities that have the very poorest people living there because we have just one season, but in the south, the cropping season are twice because you can plant in the major and minor season, which isn't the case in the north. So fast forward, I finished the university and then my first job was with the Ghana Health Service, which uh, is the main uh, health system in Ghana. And I used to work in the hospital, but associated with um, the maternity where women came to deliver. So I saw the need of um, helping women at that point because of the process they went through to bring forth. And uh, it just continued to deepen my desire to wanting to work with other women. And then from the Ghana Health Service, I joined the UN. And I think that was where I found um, the, the purpose and identified myself that this was something I really wanted to do for life. And, so, and what, so, so, what about the women? You know, there you were in the maternity ward, so they're delivering babies. What was it that got you about helping them? So what got me was that some of these women came late to the maternity ward, and they are, um, most of the issues they raised were not having transportation to come because they didn't have the money. Some uh, of it was that um, the families thought that um, they should stay longer because they were ignorant. They didn't have education to understand that the further you delay, the more complicated it gets. And then um, they also, some of them also feared coming to the hospital because they didn't feel or didn't think they have money to pay for the bill. So if I were to even get there early and deliver, I may not be able to have my baby back home because I can't pay the bill. So poverty was just the central point. That for me was the um, cardinal point to say, okay, this woman really needs to be empowered so that they can be able to make these decisions that affects their lives. Wow. Okay. So it was the it was the the poverty, the lack of. Um, I mean, you could call it education or understanding. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Okay. Thank you. Wow. 
So then, so when you got the job with the UN, you went from the hospital to the UN, was that locally in Ghana or did you come to New York for that? It was locally in Ghana um, with the United Nations World Food Program. And this was the program that was meant to empower um, girls to stay longer in school. Because um, up north, which when the uh, program was implemented, girls were taken out of school at a certain age to support the parents in uh, the house or support them in farm work or follow them to markets because in uh, the northern part, the uh, girl child is meant to support the parents with um, paid care work. So, so the yeah, you had said um, when we were talking yesterday that they would drop out as young as eleven or yeah. twelve. And what about the boys? Do the boys drop out too, or they're allowed no, to stay in school? They were allowed to stay in school. So you will drop out at eleven to either take care of your younger sibling or to support your mother um, run the house. So let's say your mom is selling um, assorted things in the market. You are dropping out to stay at home to be fetching water, making, cleaning dishes, taking care of your younger siblings and cooking so that your mom can go to market and come, but the boys will go to school. Wow. So um, the program with the UN was to um, provide food rations for these families so that um, if you were going to remove the girl from school to support you, uh, go to market and buy uh, food products to support the home, they were giving you food rations so that the girls can stay in school. And that was um, how my journey in terms of empowering women and girls began. So we worked to increase the enrollment and retention of girls from um, 15% to about 56%. So that it's not just going to school, but staying longer in school and completing like I had the opportunity to do. Most people didn't have that. So it's one thing to say, okay, let's do this. It's a great idea. But how, so how does the UN, you know, they're not local. Um, how did they, it, you said they increased it to 56%, right? Which is mm. amazing. Mm. How were you the, like the feet on the ground? Were you the one that was actually implementing it in Ghana? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, so the UN um, works uh, similar with how we work in Crossroads. They work with partners. So they were working with the Ghana Education Service, which um, is the main government organization in charge of education. So they uh, implemented the program through the Ghana Education Service and more targeted to communities that didn't have girls staying longer in school. So the uh, Ghana Education Service already knew these communities and the numbers. And that helped to implement the program. So we were more of facilitating and ensuring that we're achieving the targets and the program is reaching the communities that really need the program. Okay, so the partners, just like with Crossroads, you know, Heather was also talking about partners. So the partners are the, they already have the organization, right? They're already yeah. committed to the goal. Yeah. And then you work with, so the UN provides like the funding or? Mm -hmm. 
They okay. provide the funding, they provide the logistics. So like they uh, they would provide them an educational kit. So that is um, a kit that contains all educational supplies. They provided funding for the uh, procurement of the food and then the food was rationed too. So if you were a girl, there was a certain uh, quantity of ration you got a week and then you would take that home so your parents wouldn't have to um, go to market to sell other um, farm produce to buy that. So the parents had more interest in keeping the girls at school because they will bring additional food ration than taking them out. And the UN provided the money for that. So were the parents um, locally, were they behind? I mean, did they realize why it was important for the girls to stay in school, do you think? Or do you yeah. think they bought it or they were good with it? Initially, they didn't. But as the program, part of the program was also to educate the community the importance of keeping the girls in school. And okay. those were part of where we invited the parents to the community meetings to explain to them the need to keep the girls in school and longer. Because there are also some um, uh, traditional um, uh, uh, norms that would um, say that if you stay too long in school, you may not be able to have kids when you marry later in life. So sometimes parents also, because of uh, ignorance, think that instead of keeping your girl to school until 27, 28, she should marry when she's 18 or 19. So all these were also part of the program to um, reorientate parents. They need to have girls in school and the value it would add at even when they decide to have families in their later years of life. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because, I mean, it takes something to change. You know, if a culture has been this way for forever, and, you know, who are you to tell them to keep their girl, right? They would exactly. have to really be to understand that there's a benefit. So, mm. wow, good for you for doing that. And then I know you said you went and got, you came to America to get some more degrees. Mm. Now, what did you study? Um, just so the audience knows. When you were, you went to the South to University, what did you study there? Was it business there too? Yeah, so um, my university in uh, Cape Coast, so the Cape Coast University is the coastal part of Ghana. I studied uh, business management undergrad, and I, I went further to do an MBA in general management. And from after my university, I was I moved on to work with UNICEF, which is also another UN uh, organization. And that we were at the time we had an epidemic in Guinea, Wem, which was um, a waterborne disease, and we actually got funding from the Carter Foundation from the U.S. to provide those communities with um, uh, portable, alternative portable sources of drinking water. So I did that for three years and then uh, worked on a World Bank project that was empowering women uh, businesses. And, and that was the project I ended and went to the U.S. to go to school in Lincoln University. And at uh, Lincoln, I did um, management projects, management and uh, evaluation uh, in Illinois states. Okay, so you, so 
so from the World Bank, when you were working for the World Bank, were you still in Ghana or did you come to America for that? I was still in Ghana, but only came for meetings. But I was the, okay. yeah, the project was based in Ghana. Um, it was working with women in oil plantation and uh, art and craft. So it was a project for five years, but I joined it when it was in the, ter- the second year. So I worked on that project for two years. Wow. Okay. And then, so then when you came to the university, to Lincoln. Yeah. Were you working too, or you just went to school? No, I just went to school. I wasn't working. Okay. And then did you say you also got something from Harvard? Yeah. So from uh, after LinkedIn, I went back to work, and then I did um, impact impact measurements with Harvard. And that um, was um, a, a couple, so it coincided within the period of the COVID. So much of it was uh, moved and we had to do it um, virtually at some point. And that um, was later, and I didn't work, I only volunteered at the um, the side business school, the entrepreneurship center. And that more of also looked at um, building the capacity of women in terms of resources and tools in the uh, business environment to um, evaluate their own uh, progress in terms of um, natural use of resources and resource efficiency. Because most of the uh, business landscape for the women that work in uses natural resources and they need to understand how to efficiently use them and not create um, a negative impact for the planet. So that um, gave me the opportunity to deepen my skills in that area as well. And that moved me back into the humanitarian and development work with Crossroads, which I'm working on. Okay, so when did you start with Crossroads? I started with Crossroads in 2020, in June. 2020, okay. Okay. And are you, um, I think I asked you yesterday, but do you, are you, do you actually work for Crossroads or you're a partner in Ghana? I work for Crossroads. I work for Crossroads as a staff, oh, as okay. a staff member of Crossroads in Ghana. But Crossroads works through partners. So in Ghana, we have 13 partners Crossroads is working with. And I am the staff member who is coordinating and nurturing the relationship of these partners with Crossroads to implement our program in the different locations and different thematic areas Crossroads is committed to. Okay. So you're so you're like the liaison between Crossroads and the partners. You're the local. Are there other people? Is there one like, are there country managers for each country that you're in who also have that role? Yeah, within? so for Ghana, um, is one country out of the West African country that has um, a country manager. Uh, for the other African countries, we have the Francophone West Africa, which is headed by another uh, lady. 
and the, the uh, offices based in Senegal. Then we have the Eastern and Southern Africa countries, mm -hmm. which is headed by another lady, and the office is based in uh, Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Okay. Okay. So you, so the partners, you said there's 13 partners. Have you, were you responsible for getting all of them or some of them were already there when you started with Crossroads? When I started with Crossroads, there were three already that had worked with Crossroads from the previous okay. program cycle. And then the rest of them, I had to find them to join the program. Okay. So, and when you're looking for partners... I mean, I'm assuming they're committed to the empowerment of women and girls. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what you're looking for is other organizations that already exist mm -hmm. that are committed to them. Yeah. So um, with our model, what we do is that before we would sign a partnership agreement with any organization, we look at the programs they are committed to. So it must be... Um, he, they must have um, interest in human rights programming or they must be um, a rights-based organization, so an organization that promotes the holistic rights of um, human beings. They must be um, uh, an organization that empowers women and girls. They must be an organization that is headed by a woman or, or dominated by female leadership. Mm. And they must have either of or one of these components. And they must also be an organization that promotes the leadership or uh, opportunities for women to develop leadership capacity. So most of the organization we have either have all this or they have one of these that they are working with. And they must also have the opportunity to uh, work with volunteers because we galvanize volunteers to support with their expertise to implement our program. So a partner must also have the capacity and interest to work with volunteers. It's also one of the criteria that we would have to uh, before we sign you up. And the volunteers, are they the ones that are coming from Crossroads or do they have local volunteers too? No, they are the ones that are coming from Crossroads International. So from last year, we did have volunteers that were coming from the continent. So you would have a volunteer from uh, Nigeria working in Ghana or a volunteer from Togo or Uganda working in Ghana. But we didn't have Ghanaians working in Ghana in Crossroads. So a Ghanaian would work in, say, Togo in the Crossroads office or in Uganda or Tanzania. So the nationalities didn't have to work their um, countries of origin, but they had the opportunity to work in other countries within the uh, um, continent in Crossroads, which were in their countries of origin. And that was because during COVID, we couldn't get um, Canadians traveling abroad to mm. contribute to our work. And that was how we worked with the local volunteers, which we call the South-South program. Okay. Okay. So now I'm just, you know, are there a lot of, you know, you were talking about the North and the South and some of the people are very poor. Who are these women who 
are starting these organizations and how, you know, are they just called to it? Um, you know, are they the educated ones? Like who, you know, I know like Heather, you know, at a very young age, she she was creating a charity when she was 17, right? And you at a young age saw, you know, the, and I think her, I think her parents also, and my family, I didn't really see that. That wasn't something, you know, that I was looking to do. And for you, you know, you saw your father helping others. You know, who are these women that are starting these organizations or growing these organizations, would you say? Or they're probably all different, but I'm just curious. So, yeah, um, there are local national women uh, who most of them have been either um, survivors from um, some of the the thematic areas we are working in, like victims of gender-based violence, which they've survived and excelled, and they want to get people out of that same trajectory. Some of them also um, have worked in the area and feel they have the capacity and passion to be able to deliver more tailored support to the communities that they work with. And some is just um, a passion that they develop, maybe um, through friendship, through learning from other programs, and then they want to do it. So the different organizations have their um, different sources of inspiration where they um, derive to start up the work. What we um, do is that we work with organizations that are linked to the grassroots. So organizations that work very closely with these um, marginalized and vulnerable communities or populations. And that is what we target the program because we believe that if you work with um, the grassroots organizations and organizations that are more rooted and build the capacity, then there is the opportunity for um, a lasting impact and sustainability because these would be solutions we would co-create with the community and they understand their issues better and what can work than working with an organization that may just assume that this would be a solution and would not be well suited for them. So that's how we we find them and we work with them. But I'm pretty sure um, the inspirations to start what you want to do definitely is very diverse from each of the organizations. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So these these organ these partners they work with the girls. It's not like they're twice removed yeah. in an office. They're really working with them and they're helping real people, not just ideas. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's such a great model, you know. So mm-hmm. so inspiring. Okay. So now we're going to take our commercial break, and then we're going to come back with Gifty. And talk about some more of her initiatives and what she's doing um, so that, um, yeah, so that she can, you know, she's looking for people who also, I would um, just speak for you here, that you're also looking for people who have, who are inspired to help people yeah. who would want to, and she'll get into this more later, you know, maybe, maybe become a volunteer, maybe mm-hmm. donate, you know, time or money because this you know, empowering women and girls. And, and again, we're going to say more about it in the second half, um, you know, calls to you. So mm-hmm. we will give you the opportunity to do that later. But for now, we're going to go to our commercial break. 
Has social-emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Kikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori. K-I-K-O-R-I. Do you ever feel like you can't say what you really want to say? Or that you're stuck or in a holding pattern in your relationships, career, personal life, or finances? Are there things you want in life that you've given up on? Are you resigned that this is as good as it's going to get? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Hillary Burns, host of the Getting Real with Hillary show, has the solution you need. Hillary is a published author of three books and has a program called The Getting Real Process. This process frees you from what is holding you back, allowing you to create a life you love. Don't believe it? It is hard to believe that it could work, isn't it? The proof is that hundreds of Hillary's clients have used The Getting Real Process and are now free to create whatever they want in relationships, career, finances, enjoying life, or just loving themselves more. So go to realtalkwithhillary.com and order Hillary's book, Real Talk, and set up a conversation. So thank you for to our sponsor, as always, KikoriApp.com. If you want to bring social-emotional learning, actually experiential social-emotional learning to your children at schools or to your businesses, please reach out to KikoriApp.com and schedule a consultation. And also, if you believe in elevating the conversations and consciousness of the planet, that's what the Getting Real with Hillary show is up to talking about things that people don't talk about it. If you'd like to be a partner or advertise your business or become a guest on the show, reach out to me, Hillary, H-I-L-A-R-Y at gettingrealwithhillary.com and let's have a conversation and let's become partners in elevating what people talk about and creating lives they love. So here we go. I'm bringing back Gifty. We're going to hear more about what she's doing to empower women and children. Hello. Welcome back. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, okay. So yesterday, so we've talked about, you know, helping the girls stay in school. Um, and then, you know, yesterday we were talking about um, developing women leaders, right? Mm -hmm. That's another one of the initiatives. Another that you had just mentioned was, um, I guess, reducing or eliminating gender-based violence, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I I don't know if I'm leaving one out, but can you talk about, you know, what you're doing and the impact that you've made so that people, and maybe more like what it's like that these initiatives are in place so people Mm -hmm. can understand. So go ahead. I'll I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll you, so I'll let you talk. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you so much, Hilary. So um, in Crossroads, we believe that um, ensuring the rights of women and girls across all aspects of life 
is the only way to secure a prosperous and a just economy and also um, a more inclusive and a healthy planet. So most of our programs are focused on the rights of women and girls. And we work with our partners in ensuring that there are these platforms that are established so that um, the voices of women can be heard. Some of um, our initiatives, we had um, a program that was targeting the capacity of um, children and girls after uh, as a, an after-school curriculum, which we call the Girls Empowerment Program. That initiative um, was our flagship. It's um, ended now, but it yields a lot of um, positive results, which we are um, evolving into um, a girls' leadership program at the tertiary level. So this program was um, an extra curriculum activity, but it had these girls in clubs that we continue to provide mentoring and support and also build their capacity in um, technological skills. And um, in Ghana, uh, IT skills is very limited, especially in rural schools and with Crossroads, we were able to provide computers and auto uh, solar devices that gave them the opportunity to build digital skills. These um, girls are now um, around 18, 19, and 20, and they are in um, uh, at college colleges. And uh, the program is now looking at how do we continue to strengthen their skills in leadership to participate in civil governance? And that is where we have the, um, the, the leadership program that we are developing now for these girls. I'm happy to say that. All right, go ahead, finish. I'll write down my question so I don't forget. Keep going. <laughs> out, of, out of this program, we've had um, a couple of our girls being very confident to stand for student election. And that is propelling them to um, go into major political um, uh, uh, governance within their respective regions, which isn't what is very familiar because most of the time women are not uh, involving themselves in politics. And not having women speaking and contributing to the policies and decisions that affects their lives continue to impact women negatively because when policies are made and the consumers of that policy who are the majority as women, because Ghana, we have about 56% of the populations are women, but it is not us who are contributing to make the policies. It is uh, the men who are not the majority. So having this is very inspiring that we are having younger people building the interest to participate in politics and can contribute to these decisions. So that is a very um, interesting program for us. And we believe that scaling program like that across the country would really benefit a lot of women, not just for themselves, but it will also help to bring their valued contributions to the country at large. Wow. Okay. So that's amazing. Now, so for the so for these 18, 19, and 20 year olds who are now, you know, you know, taking leadership roles, if you didn't have this program, where do you think they would be? 
they would probably be very quiet somewhere that we won't know <laughs> or some of them may have even dropped out of school because of the lack of um, resources to continue and some of them may have gotten married uh, very early as the culture sometimes demands so so this yeah so this is really this leadership program is really changing their lives that's yeah. really setting them on paths that they would not be on without these programs right yeah, yeah. absolutely and they are contributing to making decisions even at home um and making them uh with an understanding of the uh, norms that they have to work with but it's more uh with clarity and appreciation of their own spaces and they are also able to serve as change makers in their communities because they have uh, they've lived in the communities and most of rural communities to be able to move a program you need to build trust right. within the communities and having people that have lived in the community develop capacity and come back they already have the trust in the community so orientating and shifting their mindset becomes very easy because they trust the person that they are working with and that is also one of the contributing factors that are making our program successful in the rural communities because of the trust that we yeah, build because, in the community. yeah because i'm thinking you know if i'm a mother and i dropped out of school and i did what i did and then all of a sudden my daughter is taking on leadership i could i could feel threatened i could mm -hmm. feel like inferior or who do you think you are right right i i think i might feel bad about myself if my daughter's now doing that or i could empower her and encourage her and be proud so i guess that's part of your job right is to make sure that the the rest of the community isn't threatened but see it as as progress right is that absolutely so yeah. I did mention about social norms. So social norms are just beliefs and rules in the communities that governs the way they exist. And our um, conversation is not to say that social norms are completely negative, but it is an understanding on how you navigate within these norms and making people feel comfortable. Like you have said, if you don't make people feel threatened, they would listen to um, the solutions we are bringing right. and making it participatory for them to contribute to making the solutions, give them that comfortability that my position is still uh, um, intact. I'm not being threatened, but it is just a way of looking at uh, something differently. And that is uh, one of the things that makes mm -hmm. it very interesting in working with local people. We believe also in working with the, um, the duty bearers, which are usually the influential people in the community. And once they get the understanding of the impact of this change, they are very happy to um, give you the opportunity and own it. And we don't work with different people, but working with grassroots organizations because we want them to own the process. Mm. We want them to own the results. And we also want them to own the continuity of it. And that is why we work 
in such a manner and using that approach. So we are very participatory. Even before you design a program, you have to have a conversation if this would work and how will it work. And then we build it. So you don't just have a model and get into a community and say, this is what we want to do. And by doing that, the process becomes very fluid because they feel this is something we contributed to and we have to make it work. Wow. I mean, it's so, you know, brilliant. You know, it's genius because, you know, you hear of things being forced on people and they sabotage it or they rebel or they don't help and they make sure it doesn't work. But you guys are really so just, I don't know, somebody's, Somebody's a genius and aware, and, you know, I just congratulate you on the progress and, and, you know, the impact that it's working, right? So many things don't work. So just really so inspiring, and I hope that people listening will, you know, use this in their own situations to help empower, you know, really at the grassroots level. It's 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 fabulous. So, okay. So we talked about the leadership. We talked about um, helping the girls stay in school. Um we didn't talk about protecting them. Am I missing one of the, I think there's four initiatives. I think I'm missing one, but I know the protecting them from gender-based violence. Mm. That is, is there a lot of that? There's a lot. And we've worked in gender-based violence for years across the continent. And currently we have a very vibrant program, um, we call the access to justice. So access to justice embodies a lot of um, our activities around uh, gender-based violence, around human rights approaches, and also around uh, access and agency. So um, one of the initiatives we have, um, which I'm very um, inspired and appreciative of leadership and our funders is the uh, the 60 plus um, gender-based violence uh, access to justice model. And that is a model we are using to reach out to women 65 and above. And um, in Ghana, um, that project is focusing on a, a community of um, older women that has been accused of witchcraft and this we know have been a transition of um, their growth from uh, menopausal to uh, where they are now. And some of the um, the characteristics they've exhibited out of those transitions, people uh, associate them with bad omen that happens in their families. So you have people suffering from dementia and then uh, hallucination, and they think that the bad fortunes they have suffered they are the witches that are causing those problems. And these women have been uh, uh, isolated into uh, a very uh, isolated community and housed there. Uh, the uh, housing um, structure and the conditions they live are very deplorable. And usually they are um, elderly and they need support. So they will go there with their grandchildren or younger uh, children. And these children that go with their mothers or grandmothers lose the opportunity to go to school. And they also lose their livelihood because of the social stigma. So the project worked with, um, uh, we had the baseline that we conducted 
and then we were able to highlight these issues and also um, looked at what could be um, the solutions in a progressive manner in terms of finding them, um, uh, uh, alleviating the conditions they were. So we had the health screening program. We have a, um, a, a psychosocial support program. So they are getting therapy from um, trained therapists. And then also we are providing um, hygiene supplies for them. Then um, part of the work we were able to, we are working with the Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice is the government um, organization which is responsible for human rights. And they've passed a law in July this year um, that is prohibiting anyone accusing somebody of being a witch and has been sent to those camps. So now if you do that, you would face um, legal uh, um, sanctions and imprisonment. And that has been very um, inspiring and fulfilling for us to be able to have contributed to giving these people um, the, uh, the opportunity to have access and to be able to fulfill their rights. And this uh, um, is just one example to let you know um, how deeper we go when we talk about grassroots, because these are populations that um, with, within the areas we work with say you are old. So it's like your life is already wrapping up. What do you still need um, all this for? But we don't put a stop to any um, rice violation we believe that everybody deserves an opportunity and you must have your rights being protected so that is one project that um we agree with this elderly woman how um i mean that seems like you know it would require a lot of education to the people you know and to i mean if they were accusing them of witchcraft obviously they weren't they didn't know about, you know, dementia or getting old or whatever. And and I know it's easy to think someone when they're older has no use, but actually, they're they're they have the experience and the wisdom of 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 being around. So how um, how did you do that? How did you like get the law? I mean, that's amazing. That's really incredible. You know, obviously, you're making such a huge impact not only on the women, but on the laws and stuff like that. Can you, we're, we're, you know, we have about five minutes left. Can you, can you say that real quickly? And then I want to make sure that we, we get to, you know, put, put the rest out there. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So uh, because of our partnership with the Commission of Human Rights and Administrative Justice, they have the mandate to advocate at the government level to be able to push for this. So we had that opportunity through our partnership with the commission and uh, our work with them. So they are actually the, um, the central piece in implementing this project and driving it. So that work has actually been uh, through them and we are very grateful for their partnership with us and really appreciative of what they've been able to do. It's, it's a big move to have this because this has existed for several years and now those women would have the opportunity to be reintegrated 
at some point back in their family. And I totally agree with you that education is very critical and that is one of the pieces we would be looking to do to educate the public even with the new law and also let them understand the transitions people make so that people are more aware and informed. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so in the last few minutes, I want to make sure that people know, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of contribution they can make either, you know, how would they, if this calls to them, how would they volunteer? How would they donate? You know, what can people do? Um, I, I think, but go ahead, I'll let you, I'll let you say it. So um, we, we, we are looking for uh, partners across the world because we believe that um, we can both champion this um, cause together and help make the voices of women be heard across through platforms like yours and other platforms that would be connected to us that we don't know. Because once you invest in women, it is not just um, a fundamental human right and the human rights imperative, but it is um, a progress you are making for everybody because investing in women is progress for all. And that is uh, one key thing I want to share with everybody who would have the opportunity to watch this. And you can join our program in different ways because um, we have a volunteer model. Currently, um, Canadian citizens are participating. You can donate through um, our platforms. So if you go to info at uh, crossroadsinternational.org, so it will be info at citl.org, and then you would have... Um, the links there where you can donate and you can also send us an email if you need any more information or want to be associated with any of our programs in sub-saharan africa we're in 11 countries so there definitely would be an opportunity to contribute to something yes and i know that i think you know from my conversation with Heather, they're, they're looking for certain different times. They're looking for certain types of skilled volunteers. Mm -hmm. So you can go to that um, Crossroads International, I guess it's CITL.org and see if you have certain skills, you might want to be able to go to those countries and have an adventure and, you know, really be able to make a difference. So, so Gifty, thank you so much for your time. What would you like to leave as you're, you know, let's say five years from now, what is your vision? What do you see for the world? So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so five years from now, um, what I would want to see would be um, being able to empower a lot more women, especially those of them that are working in the agri sector to um, absorb smart agricultural practices so that they can be able to uh, mitigate and build resilience against climate change. That would be uh, is something we are doing around the Environmental Ambassadors Program, and it would be one of um, a very fulfilled desire to see that happen. And also, I feel that would contribute to reducing um, 
poverty, the visual cycle of poverty among women and give them the opportunity to contribute to the food basket and reduce food insecurity in Africa. And my vision would just be to see that globally we are able to galvanize together and create solutions that creates a better world for us and increase food security for everyone. Mm, thank you so much. Wow. Well, we thank you for listening. We thank you, Gifty, for the work you're doing for Ghana, for the planet, and just your stand for women is so beautiful and so inspiring. So please share this uh, conversation with people you know who want to make a difference. Let's, let's you know, have the voices of women be heard, reduce poverty, you know, increase, I don't know how you say it, human rights, and, you know, spread this conversation around. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel so we can do more work uh, for the planet, elevating the conversation and consciousness together. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for watching this episode. I started getting real with Hillary when I discovered that I was a people-pleasing, pleasant phony and wanted to be more of my real self. We can grow together. If you will like the show, subscribe to my channel and share this episode with your friends and family so that we can have a world that's more real.